1: We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers. And that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Our guest today is Jane Williams. Jane's an experienced researcher and principal lecturer in equine research with a passion for enhancing equine performance and welfare through teaching and industry-informed real-world research which generates change. Jane's a qualified veterinary nurse and gained her master's in equine science before completing a doctorate exploring the application of surface, and I will ask you about this again, electromyography, EMG, as a tool to assess muscle adaption during the training of racehorses and sport horses. She's employed at the University Centre Hartbury, an associate facility of the University of the West of England, UK. Jane mainly lectures at postgraduate level, where she leads the research process module and is a regular guest lecturer across equine science and therapy modules. How are you today, Jane? Not too bad at all. Good. Thank you. Jane, we've got a lot more information here about you, and I'm sure people would love to read a bit more. If they're interested, they could go to your page, which will be horsechats.com slash Jane Williams. But meanwhile, Jane, we'll get on and start you off with your favourite quote. What is it?
0: I think for me, one of the most inspirational quotes is that from Winston Churchill, which is there is something about the outside of a horse that is good for the inside of a man. Yeah. And that just really sums up, I think, the relationship that people can have with horses and how positive and beneficial they can be in our lives.
1: The fact that that's a quote that's been used across a couple of interviews, I think it does. It really sums up the way that a lot of people feel about horses. And it just goes to reflect, you know, why horses are used in therapy and why they're so versatile and and why there's such an attraction with horses and the whole partnership between people and horses.
0: I think for me it also comes into the performance sphere as well. Mm-hmm. So we quite often think about horses from that therapeutic side of it and the horses in equine therapy. But actually if you examine the relationship that professional riders have with the horses, that leisure riders have with the horses, the same applies. And I think our horses are very good counsellors for yes. all of us at some point yes. in time.
1: Definitely, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Jane, tell us an early story, you know, something that you've got in your memory about a particular day. You know, when you were first starting riding or you first got introduced to horses? Give us a bit of an insight on that day.
0: I think I have quite an unconventional introduction to horses in a lot of ways. Um, I grew up in Liverpool, which is a large city in England. Yep. Uh, I'm very much in a city kid. But my family background is got a lot of relatives in Ireland. So I used to spend summers over in Ireland and going around family farms. And my earliest memories of working or being involved with horses was people turning around going, oh, you like horses? Like, well, We've got a donkey, we've got a pony, we've got something <laughs> in the field. <laughs> and me in a skirt and wellies being chucked on the back of things and held on while he went crazy.
1: Yeah Or putting
0: yeah. a pony in, trapping. The, go on, go, go around the field, go do that. Uh, and it was excellent I mean it was really good fun I had not a clue what I was doing yeah but I had this opportunity to just engage with a lot of horses and a lot of really good horsemen as well
1: okay okay that would have been good and then from there Jane you know because you're doing quite a lot now and you're sort of not even just at the undergraduate level where you're inspiring people about having a career with horses but You teach more in the postgraduate, don't you? So you're inspiring people that inspire people to have a career with horses. How did you get started down that that whole pathway? You know, what was your journey there? Did you always, from being that kid in the wellies that got chucked on the donkeys, were you always going to have a career with horses or, you know, because you're a vet nurse for a while, so that's sort of a career with horses?
0: I think for me, I mean, it's probably a similar story with a lot of people. Initial aspirations was to go into veterinary medicine, um, and then life happened. It didn't quite work out that way, so I ended up going and training to be a veterinary nurse. And originally started with small animal practice, and then went into equine practice. Mm-hmm. And, and the horses were always there in the background. Um, so I had my own horse from when I was eighteen. So the horses were definitely alongside all of the training and doing it. And I was competing and doing bits and pieces that way. And I think once I was in veterinary nursing and working with the horses, I had a a fortuitous break and a serendipity moment, isn't it? My husband actually got a job being catering manager at a college in uh, England, in Devon, which did equine and did veterinary nursing. Mm -hmm. And because we moved on site and I was immersed in that sort of environment, I started to do a little bit of guest teaching and being a little bit of that. And then actually I started to think, you know, I I could go into teaching, I could do this. So I started doing teaching for vet nurses um, and working with them, but more and more moved over to the equine side because that was where my real passion and love was. And it's just a really nice opportunity to then to work through and to do more specific equine. Um, and going to heartbreak gave me the opportunity to really do that, both at undergraduate and postgraduate level. So I completed my Master's with them and then went to work for them pretty quickly afterwards.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if someone's going to start off with horses, because it's a bit of a different career, what do you think are the core skills or character traits that someone needs to commence in that industry? Um,
0: I think... For me, you've got to have a passion. Passion is an overused word a lot of the time. But you've got to want to work with them. It is a bit of a vocation to some extent. I mean, there is careers where you can diversify and maybe you're not doing the hands-on quite so much. But at some point, most of the people I know who've worked or working with horses have done that sort of hard slog, the early mornings, the late nights. They're working with the horses for the love of working with them. But I think the key characteristic, I suppose, I would like to see in a person working in equine is the desire to question and to learn and always to be willing to learn and to take on new knowledge and to to try and understand what they could do better for the horses. Uh, And alongside that, maybe to have a little bit of mental toughness and resilience, because this industry does tend to throw um, adversity at you at most unexpected times sometimes, and you need to be able to learn from that, work with it and move forward in in a positive way. Otherwise, I think it's a career which maybe isn't for everybody.
1: Okay, okay. I like the way that, you know, the desire to question and to learn and about how the horse industry is evolving. You know, the horses themselves aren't evolving, but we're understanding them more, aren't we? You know, there's a lot more understanding within equine science about horses. I
0: and mean, I think that's the beauty of equitation science, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're starting to try and look at things from the horse's perspective a lot more. Yes, yes. Uh, and to try and bring maybe some of the traditional aspects of the industry more alongside how we can maximize the welfare of the horse so for me one of the key things in the equine industry it is an economic industry finances drive an awful lot of stuff and and to be successful you need to be able to make money and survive and and be able to have money to look after your horses to the best of their ability as well Mm -hmm. and if we can bring the science in if we can start to understand why horses do what they do how to help them to do it better without compromising their well-being or the welfare then we increase the performance then everybody's happy. And yep. most of the people I've ever come across in the horse industry, 99% want the best for the horses. Yes, And yes. the compromise only sometimes happens because they maybe don't understand. Or equally, we see issues nowadays with people almost, I hesitate to say being cruel, but I mean, there's almost an overloving the horse and the obesity mm. crisis that we tend to see. in equine is a classic example of that. Wanting to do so much for them to be so looking after them so well that actually it almost becomes a little bit detrimental.
1: Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, and that's lack of understanding themselves, isn't it? You know, that horses are different to dogs. They've got different requirements. No, definitely. Yeah. To work in the horse industry then, what's the best thing?
0: I'm the best thing. I think it's just working with the horses. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, and that's one of the beauties for me. I mean, that was my, my worry when I went more into teaching full-time is that I wouldn't actually have the hands-on with the animals. Because the beauty of vet nursing issues, we still get our hands on. But I'm really lucky that I get to do that Um, through the research side and through teaching, we do a lot of practical as well. But I think that interaction with the horses, that's just the best part. Mm,
1: mm, mm. Tell us about someone who's inspired you, helped you make career decisions, you know, someone that's influenced you.
0: Um, For me, one one of the key influences in terms of where I've ended up coming in in a career is Dr Hayley Randall. Yes, yes. I first got to meet Hayley when she, well, when I started teaching at Bicton in my first role. She was a, a partner link for the University of Plymouth at the time to Bicton College where I was working. And we hit it off straight away. But I mean, she's such a lovely person and, and, and so inspirational. And when other people maybe weren't laughing at what I was thinking about, but were questioning, going, why would you want to know that and why would you do that? Hayley was always there and was like, oh, no, that's a really cool idea. Go for it. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Mm -hmm. And I really don't think I'd be where I was today without the push and and the support. I mean, she really gave me the courage to be able to explore and to go where I wanted to.
1: Yes, yes. And sometimes those people give you the courage and others just almost poo-poo the idea. You know, they say it's not, you can't do it. But if you don't put yourself out there, and it doesn't mean you're going to win every time. It means you've got to be prepared to fail. But then if someone like that's backing you and encouraging you to get up and do it again, yeah, I think that gives you the confidence to get up and do it, yeah.
0: Definitely, and that's the beauty of Haley. I mean, even now, she's the first go-to that I give her a <laughs> question or a or I want to bounce an idea of someone like that. Yeah. I it's like, I age, can you help? <laughs> what can you do for this? Yes. I mean, and, and she, she was always there, if you do get the knockbacks, which inevitably you do, mm. uh, and, and they're valuable learning experiences, but she'd help me to see what we could learn from it.
1: Yes. So the knockbacks can be learned just as much from the knockbacks as what you can from the successes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think particularly when you go into research and you start publishing papers and doing all that side of things, people think, oh, oh there can almost be an aura well, you've published a paper, wow. And it's like you need, that whole review process, all of this, it's it's just as bad as being a student and putting assignments in and getting feedback and doing all that stuff. Yeah, and to have yeah. someone there who can take you through that is, is really cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anyone else you'd like to mention or is there a horse that you'd like to talk about that may have influenced you, helped you in your career?
0: Um, I think there's another person who's been quite influential, particularly since I started at Harbury. I met Dr. David Marlon mm-hmm. um, and he was our Associate Dean for Research at the time I first started. And a lot of the work within the performance horses and starting to question some of the application of science into performance as really sort of grown and evolved through conversations and, again, them sort of opportunities to bounce ideas off Dave yep. and to, yep. to really sort of see where that's coming from. So I think both him and Haley, in terms of career and research mentors are definitely there. In terms of horses, um, I suppose my horse of a lifetime up to this point in time is one called Phoebe. My idea was a Cleveland horse thoroughbred. Uh, I had her from when she was two and a half <laughs> Did you? Uh, yeah. I can honestly say She had some of the best times with her And I probably had some of the most frustrating <laughs> times In terms of horses <laughs> with her as well But I learned so much Because she was tricky at times uh, And to try and sort of to sit And to break down And to understand what was going on um, She also had some issues um, When she was a four year old She ended up getting a pulled muscle But we went through like six months of investigations With vets and everything else And a lot of that was around the time I was starting to think about the research and where I would go. Mm -hmm. And it started to make me really question about the evidence and how things started to fit together. And I'm very much a believer in looking at the whole horse. So when we are looking at performance to take that very holistic perspective, um, I talk with the students about it a lot. If you look at horses where they have lameness in the distal limb or you've got a foot problem or something, Inevitably, if you think about the foot in the distal limb, it's connected up to the muscles at the top. The muscles then go to the back, and the hind limb and the forelimb are quite often involved, and it just grows from there. And she was probably the inspiration for me to start really questioning and thinking about okay, how is everything really coming together?
1: Yep, yep, yep. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, Is now available and the best news is that it's a free download so if you work in the horse industry if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career with over 100 jobs to choose from you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid so simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Thinking about, you know, your proudest moment within the horse industry, what do you think that would be?
0: Um, it's a difficult one, that one. It, I, mean, I suppose for me, because of uh, the research that I, I do do, it was probably presenting at the first research conference and taking some of that out. And knowing that I went to the International Society for Equitation Science Conference was one of the first ones I presented at. Mm -hmm. And having industry there at the same time as having academics and knowing that we were taking stuff to industry and being able to showcase what we were doing. I mean, that was probably one of the best moments in terms of where I was going. Outside of that, it's working with individuals because I also do a bit of work with riders and with coaches, and it's a silly little thing to get somebody just to understand a principle and to say, well, you know, is your horse really fit? We could test this, we can look at this, and Mm -hmm. then they get it. And I think that that one-to-one relationship can be really rewarding as well.
1: Thinking about just the really broad areas of equine health, welfare, performance, career, longevity, the differences that you're seeing within equitation science or science between thoroughbreds, racehorses, and performance horses, are there big differences or are they moving alongside each other? Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Um, again, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, traditionally, if you if you look at the thoroughbred and because they're so involved with racing, mm. then the, the first thing to come to mind is the wastage involved in the racing industry. However... I think what we're seeing now with retraining of racehorses is really giving a lot of them horses a lot of opportunities to go on and to extend their careers. Yes. And in terms of the performance and the longevity, I think that they have slightly different issues in terms of some of the health issues that they can have and some of the lamenesses, et cetera. But the work that we're doing and, and where we're going as an industry, it's actually benefiting both the warm blood of a sports horse and the thoroughbred. And I think the longevity is increasing in both of them. Um, Racing is becoming so much more focused on welfare as a key strategic goal, as is sport horses. Um, And in the UK at the moment, there's a huge amount of work going on with racing, trying to communicate what the industry is doing to the general public and to showcase where they're going. And there's so much research funded by them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think that we're, we're making big strides now because we are starting to understand and technology is playing a big part in that. Yes. It's ideal what we can really start to measure, and we can start to build up data sets to see well where's the patterns, where are the trends, what are we starting to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose coming back to sort of the differences between them, the differences that we would see with the thoroughbreds tend to be, I think, traditionally related to the fact that they maybe went to professional horsemen after a career in racing, or they were very specifically to say something like eventing. Yep. But what we see now, as I said, with this retraining schemes is that they're becoming slightly more accessible. Okay. Uh, and therefore they're getting that longer career because yes. they're having the, the time and effort put in and people are seeing the benefit of them as a breed. I, I'm a big thoroughbred fan, so I'm slightly biased. Um, a lot of horses have <laughs> been thoroughbreds and I, I've done quite okay. a lot of reschooling of them out of racing. Yeah, I think they're, yeah. a, they're an amazing horse. You just need to, again, realise that it's the same old thing, isn't it? A horse is an individual. If you treat everything as an individual and you work with it, then you can get the best out of them.
1: Yes. Yes, yeah. Thinking about um, the older horsemen, you know, and you start to say, well, we've done this research and we've got this technology and, you know, science has proven this and, so you know, science has proven that. The older horsemen within the thoroughbred industry and separately, because you might have two separate opinions within the performance horse industry, you know, are you getting much resistance? Now, you may not be getting much resistance now, but first of all, was there resistance from people saying, you know, all you scientists coming along with your gadgets and telling us how to do things?
0: I think there's an element of that within both of the industries, to be mm-hmm. fair. I yep. think one of the frustrations from an, an industry professional's perspective is we come along and we measure something which they, have let's say, known forever, um, and we say, oh, yes, this actually happens, uh, and we've got the data and we've got the kit which can show you how it really actually happens, and they're like, and so? <laughs> we knew it did that. <laughs> yes. and this is good practice. And I can see that frustration, but the opposite side of me as a scientist goes, but we only need the evidence that it does that, mm, because mm. we also have other bits and pieces that we test and we don't see what we think happens, happens. So it, it, it's a funny balance, isn't it? I mean, I can understand completely that we're often looking at very small parts of performance, which traditional trainers, people who've got years and years of course experience would be, well, why are you looking at that? There can also be a frustration that we found with industry that sometimes the science doesn't look at what they maybe would like us to look at. Or we sometimes design experiments where but that isn't what would happen in the real world. So the classic one that I've chatted to people about is we do a jumping study and we do some sort of jumping looking at sports horses. And for some reason, because of it, quite often these things are done in universities and colleges and there's lots of students there with their own horses, So we use what we have in front of us to be able to test this. Uh, And because it's that sort of population of horses and riders, they might have general purpose saddles and they might not be jumping at the same height. And we do some sort of jumping study and then people go, I'm going in industry, but a rider would wear a jumping saddle and you haven't jumped these horses in jumping saddles. And actually, we wouldn't really think the horses were really jumping unless it was over a metre and you've done two foot six, two foot nine (laughs) fences with the right (laughs) 90 centre. And I can see that frustration as well. Um, So for me, I think going forwards, what we really need to do is to get both parties to speak. Mm -hmm. And if you can bring industry in as part of the design and we start to speak to each other and go, well, okay, what is it you want to look at? This is what we want to look at. How can we come to the best place and do something which is really beneficial and can have a positive impact?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Yes, yes. I'm thinking, you know, because... As a rider, you, you think there's got to be a partnership between the horse and the rider. That's a very important partnership. But but moving forward, the partnership between the practitioners and the scientists is very important as well. Yeah. I
0: think yeah. both of them are equally as important. I mean, you've got to work with that, that horse and rider, as, as I say, the individual sort of partnership. But equally, getting the bigger perspective across industry is something which is maybe missing a little bit at times mm-hmm. in the research fields that we work in.
1: Yep, yep, yep. All right, so we talked earlier on about the difference between the racing industry and the performance horse industry, but you said it was a little bit much the same, no big differences between the racing industry and the performance horse industry, as far as attitudes to experiments to science, yeah.
0: Um, Pretty much so. I mean, I I think there's maybe a little bit more resistance in terms of opening up in the racing industry sometimes. And, and. But again, I totally understand that they're working in a very competitive environment. I think a lot of this and and a lot of the perceived resistance that can be there is because people don't know who they're going to be working with and you have to build up a rapport and relationship. And a lot of this is based on trust. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that, again, is completely understandable. And I wouldn't expect to work with somebody unless they got to know me and could trust me and knew that I was going to work in the best way that I could and I wasn't going to compromise their integrity. Yes, Or give away their secrets, if you like, about what they, how they were training and what they were doing. Yep. So I think yep. a lot of the perception that there is maybe a negative attitude or a distrust there is because people have to break down these barriers and, and be able to speak and to communicate well together.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Is there something else that you see, uh, you know, any sort of common faults moving forward that need to be addressed within the horse industry that you see? You know, I'm sure you'll find many, but but anything in particular you'd like to talk about, anything that you're looking forward to doing some research on as well?
0: I think one of the, the key areas which I'm quite keen to look at is how well we prepare our horses for what we expect of them, uh, and probably from quite a competitive angle. Um, but equally, it could be applied to the leisure rider and what they expect to do with Are the horse. Are we talking physically or depend. mentally? Um, yeah. Bit of both, to be fair. I mean, okay. I, I'm quite interested in the fitness and the physical side of things but I think if we're looking at this concept of so we have things like the FBI saying we have to the happy athlete and we want our horses to have positive well-being if, if we look at well-being then that's physical health it's being fit enough to be able to do something it's having a positive mental status at the same time and for me I think sometimes we expect our horses to be able to do something and we don't necessarily measure or know that they are capable of doing it so particularly with the sort of the training and the fitness angle uh, I'm very keen to explore and when we started looking at where is a horse fit enough to be able to canter around a course of show jumps and um, to go and complete cross country or go out and hack for three hours of a weekend mm-hmm. um, has it got the skill set are you developing its skills if you're a human athlete you would look at that you were fit enough to be able to physically complete the challenge without being fatigued or getting injured you would have to develop your skills to be able to undertake the motor skills or the tasks that you're expected to do within that as well. And we would hope that by doing both of them and managing it correctly, that you would also then have longevity and be able to have a a decent length of career at the same time. And I think that for me is something that we've started to look at with horses um, and it links a lot to the heart rate work that we do. But particularly, um, we have loads of technology coming on the market. And there's lots of gadgets that people can utilise, and and it worries me sometimes that people buy into them to have it rather than really understanding what it could do and how it can be beneficial.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, for example, with the heart rate, simply like doing something. Um, so, sciencey terms is a standard exercise test. In real terms, if there's somewhere that you go with your horse or a test that you do. So, for me, I used to have um, uh, a hill. That was probably about a mile long and um, we used to have point to pointers so amateur racehorses and uh, that we used to ride out and if we could trot all the way up to the top of the hill and they weren't blowing we knew they were fit enough to be racing okay very anecdotal and unscientific but in effect that was a standard exercise test it was mm-hmm. something that we could repeat as we were going through a training program what i do now is do that with heart rate monitors and i'd look at the heart rates on them but i don't know how many people are doing that and assessing and, and sort of seeing where they are and that the horse is therefore physically prepared to be able to do what we want them to do. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, I think that's a really interesting one. Linking into that is also pacing strategies is an area we're starting to really explore, which is really interesting. So in human sports, uh, sprinting and in endurance running, We find that a lot of the coaching and a lot of the performance analysis, I suppose, is looking at what's the best way to win and and how can you, and to avoid injury. So how do you pace? Do you do flat out as fast as you can go? Do you have it fast and slow, then fast? Or or do you do it consistently? And a lot of our horse sports, racing, endurance, even eventing in terms of cross country, I suppose you could also apply it to show jumping in terms of performance angle. There's elements there to look at that and to just start getting a bit smarter. Because if we can train using them approaches and we can compete using them approaches, then we might be able to extend the longevity of the horse and also prevent injury.
1: Yep, yep.
0: All of that is really exciting and I, it helps with the mental um, well-being as well. Because again, you're not putting the horse under the pressure of being fatigued or you're not putting the horse under the pressure of being, asking it to do something. So, I mean, I'm sure, again, everybody's been in a position where they've wanted to be able to move on and to go quicker and actually they've had to sit back and go, the horse isn't ready yet. So that idea of skills training might be doing some gymnastic grid work before you can go out and compete around a decent course or something. You've got to get the basics established.
1: Yes, yep, yeah, And I think anything that's going to improve the longevity of the horse, reduce the injuries, you know, I just think that's certainly in the right direction, Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And the EMG work that you talked about. That yes, my, tell um, me
1: what EMG is again. Electromyographic. Yes, yeah, so
0: electromyography. Yeah, um, It's basically when muscles contract, there's a tiny electrical current produced there, an action potential or a motor unit action potential. Um, and what EMG is, is two little sensors that goes at the top of the muscle and it measures the electrical outputs during contractions. So it's a nice little bit of kit. Um, you can... With horses, we have a couple of issues because they have really big muscles. So we can use lots of them um, in terms of it's developed from humans. So obviously for smaller muscle sizes. But it also measures the superficial side, which is why it's surface uh, EMG. So a horse muscle is really deep. At the top of the horse's muscle is uh, what we would call like the type 2 uh, and 2X fi- um, muscle fibers. So the ones which are more involved with dynamic and explosive movement. And the type one, which are more to do with postural stability and, and slow work, would be deeper down. So the surface EMG tends to capture the, the faster, more explosive type of activity and the slightly more active work. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it will give you an idea of sort of how hard a horse is working. It's not perfect by any means, but you can get a comparative um, perspective if you have maybe to look at a horse working on the flat in a trot and then you get it to speed up its trot you can see how much harder the horses are working you can do some little bits of analysis to get a percentage difference it can tell you which muscles are active when so the, the kit that we have is a Delta system and that does live streaming so it's all wireless you can stick it on the horses and then you can sit with your computer and you can see which muscle is working when they're jumping over a fence or when they're galloping, which one is working, when which forelimb or which hind limb is going forward or coming backwards. Okay. Um, in humans, we use it with some of the sports therapy students at Half uh, And one of the, the nice applications is when they're coming back in rehabilitation. So they're starting to maybe do some rehab gym work. And again, you can see how slightly shifting the movement pattern, so maybe rotating your leg slightly differently, is engaging a muscle a bit more. And for me, that's quite exciting with the EMG with the horses because we can take that same principle and apply it across. Yes. So, looking at training aids, looking at, okay, if we just shift how I'm riding it a little bit, will that actually engage this a little bit more? Or, equally, I think this muscle is working when I'm doing this. Well, let's put the EMG on and see whether it really is. So, I mean, it's a nice little bit of kiss. It doesn't come without issues. When I was doing my PhD, I ran around gallops a lot. with race horses because they fell off a lot. (laughs) (laughs) The problem with horses is they move very fast. And everything moves a lot. So, yeah, lots of bits of tape. (laughs) Running around yelling at everybody to stop. Um, at the time, these little sensors were very expensive. Uh, and the guys who I worked with, their the work riders were excellent. If it fell off, they would scream everyone to stop and I'd go running around trying to scramble around in the gallops to
1: find them. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. All right, Jane, what have you got then for a book to recommend our listeners? You know, something that's going to just complement their training, their work with their horses that, you know, what can impact on welfare. Just something that you'd recommend might be a book that's influenced you or another one that you'd like to recommend to our listeners.
0: Um, I think one of the really nice ones that's out at the moment is the Equitation Science book Yep. Um, and looking at the principles of learning theory. And I Mm -hmm. think if people did take a step back and just sort of think about how and why and how horses learn and could apply that. And I do believe that that book's really nice in terms of it It explains it very well and, and it gives you some clues about how you can do it and how the application of it can be done. And I think that can have a massive impact on people's practice.
1: It's good for someone who just wants to start to learn about equitation science. You know, it's not a very, I mean, it's good for people at different levels. You know, you can come in, you can pick it up, you can read it, but then you can come back and read it again after a couple of years and still get information or a year and still get more information out of it.
0: And I think that that's the sign of a good book, isn't it? You don't have to. It's not one you would necessarily sit and read from cover to cover straight away, mm. but you would pick it up, as you say, you chip into a chapter and then you might yep. look at it again, or you might have an issue, or you might have something, or oh, just want, I know, I'll just yes. go back and check that in yes. there. It is really good for that. There yep. is another one which inspired me, which is a bit of a random one, but um, uh, it depends how old people are, too, whether they know <laughs> this. There's an eventer in the UK called Lucinda Green. Yes. Um, and she had a horse called Befair. And this is before my time, but I know them from people who, who I learned to ride with were inspired by her. Um, but she brought out the book Be Fair based on her first sort of four-star horse. And it's actually really nice little book. If this is one you would sit and read uh, yes, from cover good. to cover. Yep. But I just found it really lovely. Uh, and again, if I need a bit of inspiration or I need to do it, then quite often I will go back to, to that one and have a little read as well. Yeah, and I have some amazing photos of these horrendous jumps that you would <laughs> never believe that people did. To me, you go, yeah. Um And I suppose if I'm going to be really cheeky and a plug in, I, I'd uh, also go and read some of the stuff in the one that I edited, <laughs> oh, really for
1: a good. performance. Yep, yep, yep. And we'll get those details off you, and you can give us those details, and we'll put them on your page, which will be horsechats.com slash Jane Williams. All right. I'd like to thank you very much for your time. Now, how can people contact you before we go?
0: Um, I think we can go through the, the page that you've got. But equally, if people want to send me an email, then, then feel free to do that at jane.williams at heartpree, with a p, dot ac dot uk, or I have a Twitter page, which is at jm, the mother, Williams 106.
1: Okay, brilliant. And before we finish, would you like to just summarise your philosophy with horses?
0: Yeah, I think for me it does go back to that why, and for me you have to think about what's the why behind what I'm doing, why am I doing this, Um, am I doing this for the right purpose for the horse, and that's led into the philosophy that I've got is about let's do the evidence base, let's get a real application of theory into practice to understand why I'm doing it and I should be able to justify why I'm doing something.
1: Okay. I'm just writing something down there. Um, you, you put in a few, you know, inspiring things that I just like to write down and, and write notes and, you know, you always write notes to just keep it in your memory that little bit longer. I think it's good. Yeah. Thank All you. Right. That's really kind. Yeah. Thanks very much for coming today, Jane, and hopefully we'll talk to you again very soon. Yes,
0: no, it's been really interesting and thank you very much for chatting to me. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe.